out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. And as always, we'd love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Jasmine Minx, because... Recently, I caught up with the guitarist and vocalist Jim Shepard to find out more about life in an indie band back in the early days, 1983 to be precise. This interview was conducted at around the time when they were releasing a single um, which was going to come out on the record label A Turntable Friend that we all love. The single is titled Step by Step, he says confidently. Yes, it does. Step by step. Um, so we had, um, after a few minutes of casual chat, to get to, uh, yes, understand where we're coming from in life. We then started talking about that release, and this was Jim's response. Jim, it's over to you. Yes, it's um, going to be out. Um, we're kind of showcasing it, if you like. I don't know if that's the word. Uh, at the 100 Club on the 23rd of March. Um, and it comes out the day before, basically. So it's kind of all tying in, all very professional and tying in. Um, yes. Sorry. So, so going back just a little bit, you know, when the band, you know, you began in the sort of, um, well, in Aberdeen in the very early 80s, didn't you? Which was the kind of, because I put indie pop down, you know, between 83 to 87, which was the great years of the Smiths. And that is when the band, the Jasmine Minx, formed. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Funny you say the Smiths as well, because Morrissey came along to see us play as well around that time. Oh, did he? We were going to be doing, yeah, we were, they'd, they'd had, I think, their first hit. But I think Morrissey is a bit of a kind of a, he likes things, I suspect, um, a bit off the beaten track. So he came along to see us at the at the living room, at Alan McGee's living room, where you could squeeze in, I think, at the most, about 30 or 40 people. And that was a push. Um, and I remember him coming along there, and we thought, wow, what is he here? Because um, he'd already been on top of the pops. And um, after that evening, I think Alan McGee had said to him, let's do a single the Smiths and the Jasmine Minx, kind of one song each side. And he, he was apparently saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Um, and we proposed uh, The Ghost of a Young Man, which was a song we were playing a lot live at the time. And I think that's as far as it got, because I think it probably got to this, the rest of the Smiths or the Smiths management, and <laughs> it didn't happen, of course. But, yes. Um, it was... It was it was a fun kind of thing to think about doing. And also, because yeah. I don't know, a couple of years ago, or could have been last year, Neil Taylor, who was the NME journalist who put together the C86 cassette, um, he talked, he did, he, he did a very good book that came out, which I, hopefully you've seen, but you might not have seen. But he talks a lot about mm. the living room and Anna McGee's um, famous club. Can you, you know, what was it like? Because I'm just sort of curious because, you know, I never sort of went to it, but it sounded like it's become, it's sort of gained iconic status. It was uh, very basic. Started off, I think it was the very first one we were at. There might have been one before. It was in various venues. The, the first one we went to anyway, I think, um, 
was when it picked up anyway. It was a pub called the Conway Arms, I think it was, at the foot of um, what is now the BT Tower. It was, I think we called it the Post Office Tower then. Right. Um, and it was one of these kind of uh, rooms, you, you know, where it's a function room, but it's got a fireplace and it's got these kind of um, old living room kind of type lights stuck in the wall, you know, that kind of curl out and have a little kind of... Uh, lampshade glass lampshade kind of thing on it so it was it was very it seemed more like a, a folk club would suit going in there than kind of amplifiers and drums in fact when you got when you got amplifiers and drums in there there wasn't really much room for anybody else to get in there um so but it was a great meeting place i think for lots of bands and, and it quickly picked up um, and that's where I first saw live bands. I mean, our first gig, we played with Primal Scream there. Um, but the t TV personalities played there quite a few times and June Brides and The Loft were fantastic then. It was just so many bands um, played that tiny little room. Yes. Um, and I've got good memories of it, yeah. It was Saturday nights yeah. heading down there, you know. And also... We were in <clears throat> London by then. Oh, right. So you'd actually relocated from Aberdeen. Yes, we were living in London. Yeah. Oh, that's very and impressive. Yeah, well, we thought we'd give it a go, you know, yeah. well, and uh, so, yes. down, <laughs> down everything and see what happened. We put a, a, a demo tape in to Sounds and they reviewed it and we thought, oh, this is great. Um, and next thing I got a call from Alan McGee. Uh, uh, saying, oh, this guy, Ian Pye, uh, thinks you'd be good uh, playing at the living room and, and being on, on our label creation. We're just we're starting a label. I says, oh, yeah, that sounds good. He says, I've just got one question to ask you. If you've passed the first test, you're Scottish. Um, the second test says, do you like the Velvet Underground? <laughs> I said, yes. And uh, he says, that's it, you're in. <laughs> Yes. So did it, um, I mean, obviously, this is Alan McGee in his very early years, wasn't it? So did you sort of, you know, working with him, did you sort of think, God, this guy is is either a flash in a plan or a potential genius who's, who's got his finger on the musical zeitgeist? Well, he seemed to make things happen, um, even in a small way at first. You know, there was lots of bands playing in his this night he had the living room you know so it was it was exciting anyway seeing all these bands i mean there were other venues uh, a lot of them a lot bigger yeah but kind of there was something special about kind of the same it was, i suppose you get you get kind of you get to meet new people then you become friends and then you kind of you've got a little kind of group of people that you know are going to be there week after week so that's probably the key to it, you know, you kind of, uh, you get into the same things, you influence each other, I suppose, you know. Because cause with a lot of the bands I've interviewed, they often take quite a few years of creating the sound, you know, before, you know, it would often be, you know, like a couple of years faffing about and then, you know, a single getting played on John Peel and then a John Peel session. But you, you sort of got your, did you, you seem to get your sound together quite quickly because you brought out a single, Think, which, you know, was, was, you know, your first single, which is kind of, you know, one of the best songs you've ever done, which seemed, you know, I mean, the Smiths took quite a, 
you know, their first album was a bit hit and miss, and really it was kind of the second, third albums which started to really kind of gather gather some sort of like, wow, that's that's kind of extraordinary. So did you did you sort of feel that you were just on a roll at that time? Well, Alan came to see us rehearse. We used to rehearse at uh, a studio in, near Waterloo Bridge called um, Alaska. Right. And he came to see us and he sat, uh, give me his due, he sat there and we did, We probably had, I don't know, um, a dozen songs or so and he sat through the whole lot. And the last song we played was Think. I think we'd Ghost of a Young Man and maybe one other that survived. Um and at the end of it, he said, that last song, what's it called? I said, Think. He said, that's the one I want. Um, but it's too long. We were playing it about five minutes long. It was spread out and it was a bit kind of meandering. He says, cut it down to three minutes and that's it. You know, and it was just advice like that that really helped us. I kind of thought, oh, maybe we are just kind of meandering a bit and, you know, just... Uh, we could we could edit things a bit and make it a bit tighter and a bit more fun, you know. Um, so very quickly we wrote, I think the next song was probably Work For Nothing or um, maybe a couple of other songs, I can't remember. But they were, we, we took his advice, you know, um, and it worked for us. Yes. We, we definitely uh, found a sound much quicker, I think, having somebody like that to kind of, to come in from the outside because you can speak to yourself, you know, to each other all the time and kind of suggest things, but for somebody else to come in and actually care and to kind of uh, want to actually listen, you know, it's, it was a first for us, really, because <laughs> no, nobody seemed to be listening, you know, so um, yes. it was, it was but, but, that probably gave us more sound, you know. But having, having done this show for a few years, I sort of realised... Um, before but I've come to appreciate it even more that there was an amazing amount of you know incredible sort of bands coming out of Scotland as well I mean I come from Norwich we don't have a huge amount of bands which you would say looking back you think mm, the Hickson's Farmers Boys but Scotland I mean I know I'm talking about one city and you know Scotland you know a country but you know when I sort of looked at you know, and I've interviewed most of them, apart from the shop assistants, who seem very difficult to get get hold of a member. You, you know, did you feel part of a, a sort of a musical movement at all? Um, yes, we did, and there was there was definitely a lot of Scots involved in creation, um, and I suppose you kind of the music's the main thing. But I think if somebody speaks your own language, you know, kind of, and knows, you know, what it's like to grow up, kind of, uh, and most of us are kind of working class um, or lower even. So th there was that that brought us together. And we did feel a camaraderie with the other bands that came along as well. It didn't really matter whether they were Scottish English or try to think if there's any other uh, nationalities that were around um, but you know you do feel when we went to play in Scotland it was special you know, yes. there's no doubt just travelling we always used to cheer if we're in the van we went going up for a gig in Scotland we always used to cheer when we went over the border into Scotland you know so it was quite special yeah um, so you pulled yeah. you pulled out your kind of a, it was like a mini um, a mini album 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all preachers go to heaven. But then, you know, the, the first debut, you know, the, the proper album sort of came out a few years later. So had the had your sort of musical ability and sort of songwriting craft developed much in those two years? Yeah, I think so. We, we certainly tried to write a lot of songs and to... It was me and Adam that were writing the songs. Uh, and we certainly kind of would say, oh, let's do this this way, or, you know, this way. I remember uh, with a single, we recorded four songs and we thought, we just want to do this like the Buzzcocks. The Buzzcocks times up EP. We want to do it like that. And that was our kind of guiding light for the what's happening kind of so there were the four songs um, which uh, got scrapped, actually. Um, so that was one kind of era. Then I think by the time that album you're talking about came out, um, or by the time we recorded it, we were kind of a bit more laid back. We are kind of having a lot more acoustic guitars in there. Um, but what happened was we recorded the whole album's worth, and then it kind of got picked at a bit and previous recordings like that one I'm talking was talking about with the Buzzcocks kind of uh, uh, influence and it all got mixed in it sounded a bit kind of a, a bit of a, a bit patchy because of that the sound more than anything I think our songs stand up however we do them but they just didn't I didn't think this sat well together yes. on that album because of that because of the different styles of recording and stuff but definitely our, our kind of songwriting abilities were developing, there's no doubt. I mean, it took a huge leap for me once Adam left to kind of, uh, I felt no pressure before then because it was the two of us and we kind of, and I find music writing really easy. Um, and if Adam presented me with lyrics and they were normally fantastic lyrics, I think he's one of the best lyric writers in, in the uh, indie scene. Um, and if he presented me with lyrics, I could just go away in five minutes and I could have a tune to it because I was quite inspired by them. But to be left on my own, when he, he left to write the songs, I had to I had to do it kind of, had to really up my game, you know, and to try and, uh, try and become more of an all-round musician. Whereas before I felt more like a guitarist who occasionally, who occasionally sang songs, you know. So that was the time I think it really um, changed uh, for me, anyway. And you can you can see it. I think another age came out after that, and it's far more kind of. It sounds like an album, and it's more. The songs have a kind of a similar sound, you know, and that's what I think of as an album. Because yeah. <clears throat> um, I remember doing an interview with the the main man with the BMX bandits. And, and what was quite extraordinary was the, the amount of ba uh, musicians and other bandmates that um, had come and gone in that musical um, combo. So did you, I mean, obviously you just lost one member there. Did that feel like a huge kind of, kind of moment? Because often when, you know, a group have been together and somebody leaves, suddenly that's the thing that the whole kind of, you know, the whole group dynamic changes and it, it's often... Is not the same again. So obviously that must have been a bit of a wrench to um, experience that. 
Yeah, it was. It was really difficult. Adam was a was our front man. He was very dynamic um, on stage. He was very kind of. Uh, he was. He could be quite sarcastic, and but he was. I think he was entertaining. You know, <laughs> he certainly. Uh, I listened back to uh, to kind of live tapes and stuff, and you know, he, he, he if he was in the mood, it could be tremendously entertaining. Yeah. So for him to go, um, I had to kind of go up in the spotlight, I suppose. Even though I sang Think and uh, Where the Traffic Goes, it didn't. It felt like I was kind of behind the scenes more. I don't know. I can't explain it really, but I felt like I was more like a guitarist as, and maybe organising the music, but not so much the kind of the shows and the the kind of uh, the experience, you know, or whatever, the kind of entertaining people. Yeah. I was quite happy to keep my head down. Yeah. Um, so um, it was difficult. Um, and we kind of shuffled around for a bit, uh, work, working out, trying to get our sound. And I, kept, I think it came, it came out of kind of just being, I think at that time we were totally immersed in, the Birds and Big Star and the Beach Boys as well a bit. And we just kind of, I don't know, we've, we've managed to manage to resurrect ourselves. And um, one of the biggest factors was when Wattie Duncan joined us um, because he had, he came down from Aberdeen and he said, I want to join your band. <laughs> and he lived in the same street as me in Aberdeen, but he was a lot younger. I says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so what, what are you going to do then? He says, I'm going to play guitar for you and I'm going to manage you. All right, okay, well, give it a try then, see what happens. Next thing, um, he's he's gone down to uh, Radio 1, Broadcasting House. He's knocked on the door, got in, and he's um, gone to meet Janice Long and uh, taken a tape of some of our latest demos there. And Janice Long had a listen and... Um, John Peel was walking by and came in and says, oh, yeah, what are you doing, Janice? And came and sat down. And John Walters was there with John Peel, and they sat down, all with Wattie, and he played the tapes. And they're going, oh, yeah, it's good. A couple of good songs there. And Janice says, yeah, I really like that third song. It turned out to be Soul Station. Um, when can we get you in for a session? And that was the kind of energy that Wattie brought to us. And that, that along with kind of getting our sound together, you know, meant we could carry on. I think it would have been very difficult uh, after Adam left if Watty hadn't come along and kind of uh, give us give us a kick up the bum, but also kind of give us a bit of confidence and, um, you know, um, boosted us a bit. Yes. <clears throat> well, sometimes you need somebody to... Um... I always think of it as like taking the baton and just saying, right, I'll I'll carry it for a bit while you can sort of sit in the slipstream and then, you know, we'll we'll swap later. But, you know, at the moment you don't have to feel... Because that pressure sometimes of doing everything and being responsible is quite... It can kind of paralyse you emotionally, I think, personally. But, um, yes. Yeah. So has, has, Absolutely. has yeah. one thing that I've noticed with... <clears throat> with the music scene that I hadn't appreciated is that with a lot of bands that sort of had that period, especially the indie scene, but it could uh, you know, be applied to other ones, you know, normally it has a certain amount of life and then it kind of finishes and then another musical scene comes along. So with the indie scene, 
you know, around 80, um, 87, trying to remember, making sure I've got the right decade here. I know with age, you kind of get all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> so 87 to 88, you know, the music scene is definitely changing. You know, the Smiths had broken up. There were certain bands coming along, but, you know, it was almost like the dance the dance world with, you know, the, had had sort of taken that kind of energy and there was like the, the Stone Roses, Primal Scream and the, the good old Soup Dragons who'd sort of jumped on that bandwagon. Then all the new, you know, the next load of kids came along as well. So, I, you know, a lot of the bands I've interviewed, you know, like one of the reasons it finished was that they just had, you know, they'd done their two albums, they'd done lots of touring, they were just tired and they realised that they weren't going to be part of this next musical kind of chapter and so they you know called it a day because you know they probably also they hadn't made much money and they'd also grown sick of each other so that that's often the thing that finishes bands off that I sort of realized and then you know after that you had grunge and then you had Britpop so how did how did you sort of find that kind of running into the end of the decade and then beginning the 90s because that's kind of when the band came to an end didn't it yeah yeah um when the era of rave and the kind of uh, baggy kind of stuff came out, I think I knew from the start. It sounded really exciting. I knew that we weren't going to be able to compete with that. Um, when Happy Mondays, they supported us in uh, one of our gigs uh, in London. And when I saw them, I thought, this is fantastic. You know, um, it's kind of... Deep down, I think I, I kind of would have been quite happy to do a bit more funky music. Quite, quite happy to um, get more kind of uh, into that groove. Um, but we already had our sound, and we started playing a lot, lot more acoustic gigs. So me and the guitarist, what he had left by then, uh, me and Ed, uh, Ed Devlam. We played a lot of acoustic gigs, and it was really, really good. And we, I well, I thought um, we could kind of head more in that direction, maybe um, poppy kind of acoustic stuff. Um, but uh, in the early 90s, uh, Ed uh, relocated to Spain, and very suddenly, and I had Ed was a big part of, I, I had these kind of ideas that Ed could get, Ed was a fantastic musician, and um, had these these ideas. He was beginning to write songs. I thought, well, and he was a fantastic singer. He could stop a room, you know, um, with his voice. And I thought, well, if a few people are coming along to see me, then, you know, we'll gradually introduce more of Ed's songs and then uh, kind of they'll see what an amazing person he is and we'll be able to kind of uh, carry on and he can take over a bit, you know. Yes. But it, as I say, he left, he left very suddenly. Um, but um, if it wasn't for that, I think we'd have probably carried on doing kind of a couple of guitar kind of uh, um, quieter kind of gigs uh, with maybe some Jasmine Mix ones. I don't know if we could if we could have carried on. Um, it's a it's a shame that. Um, when a scene like that comes along, that sometimes everything goes out the window, um, but but the you know you can't you can't kind of get in you can't get any uh, records out or um, get any concerts because you're not the not that kind of sound, yeah. you know. And 
I kind of wish we had more of a scene like like America, where it kind of it takes a lot longer for changes, and you get you get more of a kind of a you get a longer run at it, um, and you, you've got more you've got more of a country to play in. I suppose you know I'd, mm. I'd love to have uh, um, played more widely than just the UK and the occasional the occasional concert in in, in Europe. But that's that's how it goes, and I mean, um, we did kind of uh, manage to reconvene in, in the late nineties, and we probably had more of that baggy sound <laughs> then than than uh, than we ever did before, because we're doing quite a bit of electronic stuff. But yeah. um, so did you funny. did you did you feel a bit more kind of kin kinship? I was just thinking that people like Neil Young who. You know, I mean, there was a few artists who just didn't seem to. It doesn't matter what was going on in the musical trends. You know, they just did what they wanted to do, regardless of what people might want, even including the record company. And and you, you know, having you know, you you sort of went into that kind of acoustic sound for a period as well. And I just wondered if you sometimes felt more kinship to that kind of Americana or that kind of um, yeah, that that kind of. I suppose. Well, what I found with a lot of those American bands that I really liked and began to sort of like, which is kind of referred to as alt country, I suppose it was kind of music that you could really picture the landscape that they were making the music in. I suppose that's what I was trying to say. Um, and I just wondered if you felt more connected to that than sometimes the sound of the city and, and sort of, um, yeah, loud guitars and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yes, definitely. Um, I don't think uh, the outside the city, you know, uh, doesn't mean you can't have loud guitars. I mean, I, I love bands like Giant Sand, for example, um, who seem to have a great balance between uh, loud guitars and the kind of softer acoustic and piano. Um, but there were lots of kind of quite good, I suppose, uh, jangly type bands who were lasting a lot longer in the States as well, you know. Uh, I think anyway, um, I can't remember what years, but you know, like um, the replacements and uh, oh, I've forgotten, I've forgotten the names of half the half the groups, but there were there were quite a few, and I kind of thought um, we we could have fitted in quite well there, but yeah. just too far away. I think. Yeah. Scotland does does seem Scotland seems it, it's still got its um, country and folk uh, scene and it fits in perfectly with guitar pop I think at times and you get that Neil Young thing that kind of giant sand kind of thing going on um, and it it works quite well here and it seems genuine yeah um, I don't know if there's maybe more of a of a country and folk kind of embedded in the culture here um, but it was interesting because i remember sort of getting obsessed with bands like uncle Tupelo, uncle Tupelo, and also drive-by truckers and they had it was definitely a country background but there was a lot of kind of kind of raw and rocking guitars with it and and sort of you know narr the narrative or the lyrics you know did sort of paint a very vivid picture of sort of small town america and um, you know life on the road which was quite 
not in a Bruce Springsteen sort of glorious way, but in a kind of like, you know, living in a small town with not much going on and things not going terribly well. But yes, there was something, a romantic kind of melancholia to them. But then you also brought an album out, didn't you, in 2000 as well? Yeah, um, and that was the first uh, album I put together um, in the early 2000s was a kind of mix of uh, kind of traditional songs, I suppose, uh, with guitar and pretty kind of wacky uh, electronic samples and stuff. So it was a bit of a mishmash. And then we we did an album with uh, Alan McGee's new label, Pop Pop Tones as well, around then. Yes. Which was kind of more full on, more full on electronics with, with um, guitars and I suppose snatches of, snatches of uh, our kind of uh, earlier approach to songs as well, but just not not so well structured. Maybe, but maybe a bit more repetitive to suit the times, I suppose. Yeah. So how did it feel? Because you'd obviously had kind of quite a gap there between Scratch the Surface, which came out on creation, and then over 10 years had passed. And then you brought out this other album, which came out on, was it Genius Move Records? Yes, it did, yeah. Yes. Um, um, And that was a kind of mix of uh, some of the songs we were doing. At the same time... um, me and Tom uh, recorded a load of acoustic songs and we're still mining those t- to this day, actually. <laughs> um, in fact, uh, the new single, Step by Step, came, comes out of that. Um, uh, we did about an album's worth of acoustic songs, which we did nothing with except make CDs for our own kind of uh, pals and stuff. But Step by Step was one of the songs that came out of that. So there was both going on. There was the kind of... Uh, the freely available, cheaply available electronic kind of uh, way of working with things, um, with samplers and stuff, which we did. But we also were doing some acoustic, some more song-based kind of uh, songs, yes. if you like. Um, and obviously, you, you know, there was like through this decade, you know, well, the early part, you sort of came together occasionally to do the odd gig. So did that sort of, was there always that feeling you know, in the back of your mind, God, I just want to, you know, sort of um, not quit the day job, but to suddenly think, God, I could really do with sort of getting the band and playing music again. Yes, I mean, I always play music anyway. I'm always involved in some project um, because uh, I'd like it to be the Jasmine Minx the whole time, but it's not always possible for various reasons. So I do music locally. Um, I sang on TV in uh, Gaelic Choir last year on BBC Alaba, yeah. which was quite nice. Um, and I do help out at shows and things, um, uh, either playing or kind of arranging stuff for school shows. Um, and I've done lots of collaborations with with um, a variety of people, you know, over the last kind of 10 years or so been involved in quite a few uh records that have come out and that's been really really nice but ultimately you know i always think the jasmine minks are a going concern and if we can get together and it's just been possible 
seems to be possible more and more in some ways. Um, it's just, it's it's my home, really. You know, it's it's my home kind of group. And it's where I feel the most comfortable. So if, if that can happen, it'll take precedence over anything else. Excellent. Well, look, because obviously this year we've got quite a few things coming up with the band, including this new single, which has got Step by Step and Gravity. So who is the band on this occasion? Because I know when you did a, when you reformed um, nearly eight, nine years ago, that featured various members who'd been in the in the Jasmine Minx from the beginning, including Adam Sanderson as well. Yes. So how did that feel, sort of playing with Adam again? Oh, it was fantastic. It was really, really nice. And we recorded a new song of Adam's as well, which came out in the the last track on the on the Cut Me Deep compilation. So that was really nice. Um and it was nice to have Dave Musker back involved as well. He played on Think. And if you don't know Dave Musker, he's played in lots and lots of bands and creation, but um probably more more importantly, uh, television personalities. He was a big part of the tel- television personalities who are, who are one of my all-time favourite groups. And uh, it's wonderful to have him back. And he's been playing ever since. So Adam dropped out after after about a year. Um, but we've got Watty back in. So it's, kind of, it's like we're going through the kind of the whole cycle again, you know, um, <laughs> except this time... Dave's been here here all the time, and it's really really good to have Dave involved. And we've got um, uh, Pat and Chris who are um, doing our road kind of uh, road managing side of stuff. And Chris and Dave were heavily involved in raising the money uh, for a tribute to uh, Dan Tracy. And we're hoping to kind of to keep that link, you know, and. Who knows? We might even manage to throw in a TVP song this year if we can if we can get it together. Yes, which is fantastic. So you've got quite a few dates coming up scattered throughout, including a date at the Hundred Club um, as a special guest of the uh, of the Claim as well. Or um, yes, is the yes. Claim. So that must be really nice to sort of keep these connections and links going with various people over the years, especially within a creative context. Yes, um, and we've got really special kind of connections, obviously, with Dave Arnold from The Claim, who played on Another Age with us and played a load of gigs with Jasmine Minx around that time. And The Claim are just a fantastic band. So as well as being really good guys that we got to know um, back then and have kept in touch with, it is, like you say, it's connections and, and um, there are so many... Um, if if it wasn't a good connection, I suppose it would have it, we wouldn't have uh, been doing this sort of thing now with with the kind of people we did then. But I suppose the people that are really good, the the kind of the Pat Fish, Jazz Butcher, the the Claim, um, and there was even uh, uh, a time when we were going going to do some gigs with the Loft, but that didn't manage to come off because we couldn't get the dates together. Just things like that, and we did a tribute to the June Brides uh, on an album uh, of their songs, and it's just nice to to be able to keep in touch with with these people, although they're hundreds of miles away or whatever. You know, it's nice to to kind of 
somehow have that connection. So it is important. Yes. And are you, one thing what sort of I find fascinating, because, you know, I've interviewed all of those bands and it's still going. I can't believe, A, there's so many, but also the fact that it's that, that period of music. I mean, it's great that people are still making it, but that period of music as well is, is 30 plus years later, is still being kind of either discovered or people are rediscovering it. And, you know, there's been quite a few compilations, especially Cherry Red, who brought out, bring out an awful lot of um, bits and pieces, including the series of like C86, 87, 88 and 89, and then various other collections that they've pulled, pulled together. And so you must feel chuffed that that, you know, the music that you created back then, which, you know, you could have thought would have just got, you know, possibly forgotten with the passing of time is, is still well sort of thought of and well loved. And you're probably just, you know, having new fans discover you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me and Tom first, me and Tom are the longest serving members of the band, if you like, although it was... It was me, Tom, Martin, Adam that kind of when we first became the Jasmine Minx. But me and Tom went to primary school together and we started playing music um, when we were about 14, 15, uh, when punk came out and we were playing the songs by The Clash, but throwing in David Bowie songs and stuff like that. And we kind of, we both got apprenticeships, uh, both electricians actually. Um, and I remember we made a kind of agreement that we were going to carry on the band and we were going to uh, have a hit, have one hit, and then we were going to set up our own uh, building contractors and we are going to play punk music through the speakers instead of all the rubbish that they played uh, on the radio. And it was going to, this is going to be funded by this one hit and that would suit us, that would be fine, the one hit. Um, but we never got that one hit, so I suppose it's the opposite's happened. We've kind of uh, we've had lots of <laughs> attention, but it's never got above um, above a, a kind of a level where um, it's kind of broken into any any kind of major uh, uh, exposure, um, except for once uh, when we did a single with Tommy Sheridan, which got us front page of all the tabloids in Scotland. But um, <laughs> Um, apart from that, uh, um, it's been really nice to, to to be on all these compilations, the cherry red ones, like you say, um, and it's just uh, all these kind of things written about us as if it's, we do feel like it's a classic kind of thing, you know, yes. classic kind of a classic indie or classic. We didn't call it that then, we just, it was just kind of, indie was just, it wasn't a style of music, it was just a kind of a, it was just putting out your own records, and that was that was how we thought of it. And we just thought we're just going to try and play our instruments as best we can, and write songs best we can, and carry on, and make sure it's us and it represents us as you know the people we are, and it's not some kind of fake, kind of overproduced stuff, which we did try once, <laughs> and it wasn't us, and we quickly dropped it and. Uh, McGee dropped it as well. You know, we did. We we spent a lot of time recording "Cut Me Deep," um, and we ditched it in the end. And we actually went back to the original. We did about two weeks recording on, on "Cut Me Deep," and on the first day we recorded it as the band, 
and that was eventually what we used. The next two weeks, we 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 ended up making it sound like I don't know, the Thompson Twins or Culture Club or something like that. But it was it definitely wasn't wasn't us. Yes. And by the end of it, we're kind of new. So we've tried it, you know, we did try it. And McGee at the times kind of, we were all kind of saying, is this right or is this wrong? And after a few days, we realized it's just fake. You know, it wasn't us. It was all programmed kind of drums and it was uh, funny harmonies and it was kind of marimbas and stuff like that. And it was just, it was just all a bit weird. So, um, well, it's interesting because we realized that. Yeah, and it was interesting because David Bowie, um, his, I suppose, his estate, and he'd obviously arranged this before he died, was going, they've um, remastered a lot of his 80s, or they've remastered his three albums that came out in the 80s, and they took away that kind of 80s production, which is kind of that Trevor Horn sound, which was kind of really over the top and electronic rhythm drum beats and all sorts and actually they've it, it sounds like a, you know a much better although they sound much better albums now than they did when they first came out which it just was that I suppose people followed the fashion and unfortunately that wasn't ever going to um that didn't last actually unlike a lot of the indie hits from that, from that same period which, yeah, yeah, which you exactly. haven't had to go back and re you know think oh can we just remaster it because actually it just sounds awful and we were doing that actually they they sound perfect it's kind of interesting that um that 80 sound still makes people slightly shudder with that oh god yes it was awful really <laughs> yeah i yeah i hate it i must admit i hate that sound and there are elements of it in our recordings from from then that i don't like but i think we got by it's lasted a bit longer because there's there's mistakes in it and there's there's kind of slightly out of tune bits and there's um, kind of enough human bits in there that that survive. But you listen to some of the some of the reverb and stuff and some of those recordings that we did. And it, to me, it just sounds, I don't know, it's kind of very 80s and not the kind of thing that <laughs> I enjoy, to be honest. But yes. I'm glad that. we kind of survived that. Yes. And. You were young. You were young and carefree. You just went for the reverb. <laughs> well, we didn't know. We didn't know. You, you go into a studio and the engineers, the engineers in charge. You know. Yes. You don't know what. what they're <laughs> and thinking. they get all the new, they get all the new kind of uh, effects and stuff like that that have just come out, and they love them. You know. Um, but I quickly realised that we just wanted to be a kind of a guitar pop band and do that to the best we could with what we could in the 80s, you know, um, so. Excellent. Well, look, Jim, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. And when I, I'll put this out and I'll do it before that um, date you've got, actually, which is very soon, actually. I also got an interview with David Arnold, which I'll, I'll do as well. Um, but I really hope the oh, gig brilliant. goes... Yes, I'm so pleased. Um, so I'll definitely do that before the 23rd of March. Actually, God, this month is already whizzing by, isn't it? So, yes, that will be fantastic. So I really hope it goes well. And then you've got Islington... And one in Glasgow and one in, in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Aberdeen. So, yes, I will mention Trying all to get Edinburgh as well. Actually. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, look, I'm really pleased that we're all still walking and talking and, and, and um, sort of yeah. even, even though we need to make lists to remember, remind ourselves what we're doing. But um, apart from that, we're still here. <laughs> and that's the main thing. So, look, best of yeah. luck. And thank you ever so much for giving me this time. 
No, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yes. I hope um, hope all goes well with you in the future, David. Yeah, and you too, Jim. And one day, hopefully, we'll meet. It'll be great. Okay, yeah. take hope care so. yeah. and um, all the best. Right. Thanks Bye-bye. very much, David. See ya. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And that was me in conversation with Jim Shepherd, member of the Jasmine Minx. And as I said at the beginning, hopefully you were paying attention. They um, released a new single recently titled Step by Step on the label, a turntable friend. Um, If you want to contact me, you can for whatever reason. Make it nice, though. Um, Yes, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86show. I will be there. And um, yes, all these shows have been podcasts, so you can find them on iTunes, Spotify and Podbean. So there you go. Check it out. They're great. Okay, stay safe. Have a great week.